Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions as we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Pray with me. Holy loving God, let us hear your steadfast love this morning in this place, for in you we put our trust. Teach us the way we should go, for to you we lift up our souls. Teach us to do your will, for you are our God, and we are truly all better off together in this place with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Hear now uh, God's word for us this morning as it comes to us from 1 Corinthians 11. It's a long text. We'll read it together. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions just as I handed them on to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man, and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ. Any man who prays or prophesies with something on his head shames his head. But any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled shames her head. It is one and the same thing as having her head shaved. <clears throat> for if a woman will not unveil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it's shameful for a woman to have her hair cut off or be shaved, she should wear a veil. For a man ought not to have his head veiled since he is the image and reflection of God, but woman is the reflection of man. Indeed, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created because of woman, but woman was made because of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have authority over her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, but all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head unveiled? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's dishonoring to him, but if a woman has long hair, it's her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone is disposed to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. The word of God for the people of God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. There is a saying, I'm sure you've heard it. It goes, don't assume because it makes it, well, it, um, it involves saying the first half of the word assume, which maybe I shouldn't probably say out loud from the pulpit. The idea of the saying, if you haven't heard it, is that it's bad to make assumptions, that assuming can get you into all sorts of trouble. Some of you know that I just finished my PhD. I guess all of you now that Don mentioned it. And one of the main ideas of my dissertation is that it's really important that we make assumptions. That assumptions are actually very valuable to us. We can't live without assuming certain things. So when I come to downtown church on Sunday mornings, I bring my trusty reusable coffee mug because I just know there's gonna be great coffee. And why use an extra mug? I can bring <laughs> my reusable one. I confidently drop off my kids, Max and Junie, with the nursery staff because I assume that Miss Trina and Miss Roslyn have done everything they need to to make sure that the folks who are watching those kids are qualified and loving. I trust them. We all have to make assumptions. They are a gift to us from God. Assumptions are what enable us to make our way through the world. Mm. See? There is some truth to that old saying about what assuming does to you and me, there's a danger in assuming because our assumptions can sometimes be wrong. I'm, assure, I'm sure that every year on those two Sundays that downtown church takes a recess in the middle of the summer, some folks who are new to the church show up just because it's Sunday and so they assume, all right, downtown church must be meeting at Central Energy and they make a reasonable assumption, but it's wrong. So they might knock on the, empty, the doors of the empty building and then have to pack up and hit up some other church for worship. Sometimes our assumptions, even the most reasonable ones, they don't turn out to be true. So I've got these assumptions. They're incredibly powerful. They make our lives possible, but they're also dangerous because they can go wrong. But they're almost always at work. 
influencing the choices we make and the way that we see the world. Assumptions are even at work in the context in which we meet God. We bring our assumptions to our relationship with God and sometimes they're wrong. The Bible is full of stories of faithful people making the wrong assumptions about God and God working very hard to correct those assumptions. Oh, you think the Messiah is gonna be born in this like powerful position? Guess again. Jesus is born in a place where he's gonna sleep in a trough that cows eat out of in his first night on this planet because his family is that poor. Oh, you think that in the night before his death that Jesus, God incarnate, is gonna stock up some ammunition so he can resist arrest? Nope. Our God is the kind of God who washes the feet of the very people who betray him in a position of service and love. Notice that God isn't telling us to stop making assumptions about who God is. Mm -mm. God's trying to correct our assumptions so that we can better understand what God is up to in our lives. God wants us to assume that there is a balm in Gilead so that we, like Jeremiah, cry out to God in trust. God wants us to know that God lifts up the humble and casts down the wicked. God doesn't want us to stop assuming. God just wants us to assume the things that are true. Now, one of the places that assumptions are most at work in our relationship with God is in our reading of this thing. When we open this book, we bring all sorts of assumptions to it, um, for better and for worse. My favorite example is, I don't know if you know that um, in in, uh, Genesis 2, when God decides that it would be better for Adam if he had a helper, you might remember this story, did you know that that word for helper isn't something like sidekick or assistant, even if that's what the word helper means to to our ears. That's the wrong assumption. Because the word helper in Genesis 2 is the same word that describes God all over the Psalms, as in God is a very present help in times of trouble. And y'all know that God is not a sidekick, right? There's another example that I love a lot, enough that it's the reason that we named my daughter Junia Um, Some of you may know her by her nickname, June. A lot of folks say to us, oh, what a beautiful name. Where did it come from? And then we say, oh, it's a biblical name, which surprises a lot of people. There it is, right there in Romans 16, 7, where Paul gives greetings to most of his friends in Rome, including a woman named Junia. Well, I should say, you'll find it in most Bibles. In some of them, you'll see a guy's name, Junius, instead of the feminine junia. And that's because at one point in the 12th century when someone was copying a Bible, someone saw this feminine name applied to someone who was being called an apostle. Not not just like, you know, a buddy of Jesus, but an apostle, someone explicitly called by God to be a, a, a messenger of God's message. And that scribe, the copier said, oh, there's something wrong here. <laughs> Ladies can't be apostles. And it must have been a typo, and they, he just changed it. The scribe changed it to a masculine form of the name Junius, and so it remains in some Bibles to this very day. And in fact, the only reason that some of us, that 
that most of our Bibles have um, the name Junia in it is because some ladies in the um, middle of the last century tried to investigate that difference between the Bibles with Junius and Junia. And they figured out that while the name Junia is about as common as the name Jennifer today, I just learned this week that Justin, my husband, has three Jennifers in one class. The male version of the name Junius is about as common as the name Jennifer, which is to say non-existent. There's no such thing as Jennifer. <laughs> Please correct me if I'm wrong about this. And so rather than try and imagine that there's some guy with a non-existent name, maybe it would be better to just acknowledge that a woman could be an apostle. Notice how those pesky assumptions are at work here. My guess is that many of you have some assumptions about that text that I just read from 1 Corinthians 11. Among other things, you might be assuming that it's not a particularly good text for us to read on a Sunday morning here at downtown church, especially when it's a lady with no head covering on her head reading it. Some of you might have assumptions that Paul must be really a male chauvinist if he's gonna say all this stuff about men being the head of women. Others of you might assume that, all right, well, if Paul says that men are the head of women, then we've got some real issues here at downtown church where both men and women work together to lead this community. I wanna offer you some good news this morning. None of those assumptions are right. In fact, as I'm gonna try and spell out, there's lots of good reasons to be guided by this text today, even or maybe even especially with a woman at the pulpit. And while Paul is no radical feminist, he's not a male chauvinist either. In fact, Paul's words reveal why women ought to have equal rights and responsibilities in our community. Okay, first consider the whole um, head thing. In verse three, I know you guys don't have numbers, but it's in verse three if you look it up, if you brought your Bible with you. Some really powerful work in the 1980s in biblical interpretation found this super interesting thing about the word head in Greek, where you and I often use the name, the word that describes this thing on the top of our shoulders, as a metaphor for someone who is in charge of a community or an organization, that just didn't happen in the Greek of Jesus' time, the language that the New Testament is written in. They didn't have the idea of a head being a leader. They had the idea of a head being something like the head of a river, a well source, a, a source, a wellspring. Man indeed is the wellspring of woman insofar as, according to Genesis 2, God took a part of man to make a woman. And that's also why Paul notes in verse 12 that all people, including every single one of us this morning, came out of a woman. This is not a defense of male headship. It's in fact a treatise on our mutual interdependence. We literally come from one another. So we need to act like we're not as dependent upon one another as we are. And that means that men need women, not just in their homes and their schools, but in their state capitals and in their research labs and in their pulpits. Okay, so then there's this other verse that one commentator calls the most impossible verse to interpret in the Bible. No big deal, thanks Don. Perhaps the most important thing to tell you about verse 10 is that where some of your Bibles may say that women should have a sign of authority over their heads, there's no phrase like a sign of 
in the original text. It just says women should have authority over their heads, as in women should choose what they're gonna do. Now, some Bible translators just started including this phrase, a sign of authority, as in a veil, to try to make sense of this really complicated idea, kind of like the, the way that that scribe in the 12th century um, had decided that Junia must have been a guy. The Greek is clear, whatever because of the angels means, and if you're interested in that, um, please email me. I'd love to chat with you for hours about the because of the angels. Um, what the Greek says is women should have authority over their heads. Because here's the kicker, the refrain in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we are different. We all see different things because we are in different bodies with different points of view literally on the world that God has given us. We have different gifts. We have different callings and different tasks. But our difference is not meant to divide us between those folks and those folks, but instead to draw us together in love for one another and in love for God. We are, Paul says, like different body parts that make up the body of Christ, and it's a really good thing. The body of Christ is not just made up of feet. The body of Christ needs difference. It needs eyeballs and kidneys and brains and lungs and lips. And we can't function as a body if some of us tyrannize the rest of us. No, we each need to have authority over our own heads so that each of us can do what God has called us to do, to offer our gifts to be the body of Christ together. This is good news. We can depend on one another and we can depend on God. And it might be scary news because it means that we don't get to just strike out on our own. But it's ultimately good news, Paul tells us, because God has given us one another so that we can learn more about who God is and what God calls us to do. And that calling includes sometimes checking one another's assumptions. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, we cannot help but make assumptions. It's the only way that you and I can get through the world, by trusting one another, by assuming that other folks have got our backs we can work together. And yet, because of sin, and also because we just make mistakes sometimes, we are going to make the wrong assumptions sometimes. But God gives us one another to remedy that situation. God grants us, each of us, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, the authority to do so. Judge for yourselves, he says. God gives each of us authority to rethink others' assumptions, even if you're a woman, even if you're a feminist, even if you don't know all that much about the Bible, even if you're broke, even if you're a kid. Here's the big one. Even if you're a sinner. And that's all of us. Guys, I am so grateful that God is so generous in giving us sinners authority. I am grateful for our tiny theologians who speak with an authority we are blessed to receive. I am grateful that God has given authority to many in our Bible study who blow my mind on a weekly basis. 
with things that the fancy biblical commentators haven't even begun to think of. I am grateful, so exceedingly grateful for the authority that God has given to our exceptional female pastor and preacher who has helped me to see and know God in ways that I couldn't without her powerful words. I am so grateful that God has given each of these folks and all of us authority to offer us some glimpses of truth about the divine. You and I need those glimpses that only other people can give us. And it's great news that God grants each of us that same power, that we might witness to those around us about the unfathomable love and grace that has been offered to us in Jesus. May it be so. Amen. I dove into the dark I swear I almost drowned But I could see the stars Looking up as I was sinking down All is well All is well Heaven help where I go All is well with my soul All is well I will landed in the light And my eyes could find the sea The darkness in my mind Was a path to set my spirit free All is well we're going to mess up. But God has given us one another. What a gift. 
May we all be a light. Go in peace. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.